Welcome to App Talk with Uptick, where we dig into the nitty gritty of how to grow mobile apps and games. We speak with industry experts about specific strategies, tools, and tactics they use to find success, and we keep you up to date with emerging news and trends in the ever-changing mobile app ecosystem. My name is Xander Agosta, Director of Marketing here at Uptick, and joining me today are my co-host, Warren Woodward, co-founder of Uptick. And our guest, Anya Shapina, Head of Performance at The Sandbox. Awesome. Thank you for joining awesome. us, Anya. Yes, Anya is a is a longtime friend in the industry. I think we both have come to each other for advice many times over our careers, and it's great okay. to actually have you on in this relatively recent and very exciting new role that you've taken with Sandbox. Well, thank you for the opportunity to be on this podcast. It's one of my favorites, so I'm excited. Oh, shucks. Well, one thing to plug at the top, uh, you've probably, if you listen to the podcast, you're probably sick of hearing about this, but on January 27th, we're doing a Web3 and Future of Gaming webinar. Uh, in which is featuring quite a few uh, fancy people in the ecosystem, including Sebastian from Sandbox, uh, Gabby from Yield Guild Games, and quite a few others. Um, so please go to uptick.com backslash webinar if you'd like to register for that. And looking forward to seeing you there. Our first segment. And, and note that this is, uh, just want to call out that this is a free webinar, so you got nothing to lose, and it should be pretty fun. It's going to be amazing, people. Sign up. <laughs> Thanks, Anya. Awesome. The first section is industry insights, where we do a deep dive on industry news. And holy mother of news fairies, do we have a big topic to touch on the top? This is a Microsoft.com article entitled Microsoft to acquire Activision Blizzard to bring joy and community of gaming to everyone across every device. In case that's not enough of a PR head title for you. Um, short wow. quote. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Microsoft will acquire Activision Blizzard for $95 per share in an all-cash all transaction valued at $68.7 billion, inclusive of Activision's cash, net cash. When the transaction closes, Microsoft will become the world's third largest gaming company by revenue, behind Tencent and Sony. The planned acquisition includes iconic franchises from Activision Blizzard and King, like Warcraft, Diablo, Overwatch, Call of Duty, and Candy Crush, in addition to the global esports uh, global esports activities through Major League Gaming. The company has studios around the world and nearly 10,000 employees. So if this deal goes through, it will be the largest acquisition of all time at $69 billion, more than five times the next largest acquisition, which was announced last week, which is Take-Two's acquisition of Zynga. Uh, this is a crazy acquisition. And I, pretty, I do expect the SEC will look at this as a potential antitrust concern, but I think ultimately it will probably go through. Um, one thing to note is that the Bobby Kotick, the CEO who's run Activision for the last 30 years, um, will be stepping down. The whole Activision Blizzard conglomeration will run into will roll into the head of gaming at uh, Microsoft. So, I mean, I think this is basically the craziest outcome that anyone expected. Um, in terms of Microsoft, I mean, in terms of the battle for the metaverse, this is actually like sort of a logical outcome because you see that the game companies are the ones who have been working on this for so long. Um, and so if you know Facebook and all these other giants are sort of stepping into space, it, it does make sense as a potential way for a company like Microsoft who already has a giant gaming division to sort of uh, leverage their understanding it, um, of that space by just sort of rapidly expanding through acquisition. I don't know, what do you guys think? This is kind of crazy, right? Uh, well, it's crazy and they're not shying away from the metaverse message. Oh, they're right? not. So I think uh, there are a couple of things to discuss of why and what they're going to do with that, right? And the second one is, do we think the price is crazy? <laughs> it's 45% uh, over asking, over trading. Um, 
but I mean, Activision was trading at 20% price to earnings. It's like the cheapest tech company in the universe. So it's, it's not super insane. Well, I don't know. What do you think? One can say that some of the games uh, have seen the heyday. Agreed. So, you know, usually you kind of see the gaming, uh, the future potential. Uh, but then I think it all comes down to the Game Pass, right? Because uh, the Bethesda acquisition was, uh, which was much cheaper, yeah. was mm -hmm. it like a seven billion or something? Something like that, yeah. So, yeah. so much cheaper, you know, that really boosted the Game Pass. And I think it's the Game Pass that Microsoft is putting as a cornerstone of the gaming strategy. So Absolutely, yeah. Anya. That, that that was actually one of my notes for this. Is like I I think Game Pass was already um, potentially like the best ROI of any uh, like serious gaming investment that you can make. It's such so much value for for the average player versus the price. And thinking about what does it mean if Game Pass all of a sudden has you know Blizzard AAA IP like there's a new Diablo game that either for you know limited time or beyond limited time you can a only play on Xbox and B, uh, it's free if you have a Game Pass membership. I mean, that's a really hard value proposition to um, to compete with, with the number of titles they could do that with if they wanted to. Yeah, totally agreed. And, and then of course, Activision Blizzard had some uh, PR problems lately, harassment yeah. suits. And I actually took a look at the gaming board of Microsoft and mm -hmm. you know guys, it's half women. Or that's maybe great. more than half women. So I think that's a that's going to be good for them. Well, I saw I was you know I was on yeah. Twitter earlier today. And people are you know reveling in the fact that Bobby's stepping down after you know thirty years, and so you know people are the the pitchforks are out, and you know they're finally satiating the angry mob. So that's good. He's a very expensive CEO too. <laughs> I mean, you, there's very few people who have had a career in gaming industry like Activision. I mean, it's really it's really the, what they've been able to do in terms of rolling up so many distinct IPs over so many years and across so many different areas of gaming. It is really impressive. Not saying he's not overpriced or not a jackass. I don't know him at all. Um, but like, you got to think of their, I mean, they were, it's one of the most astronomical rises of any game company ever. I mean, they're one of the largest for a reason. And, and what a way to end, uh, what a way to exit, what a way to end the career, right? Yeah. All I mean, cash, which is crazy. He's sliding off into the sunset. Yeah. yeah, Anya, I'd like to since we since we have you join us today, I'd like to back up a little bit too. And and you know they did they did allude to like metaverse aspirations, as you said, in the longer form of the press release. And um, I'm sure we'll kind of come back to this theme in our main topic. But what, what do you think as far as like overall the ability of these established kingpins um, in gaming? Like, are, do we expect like like at Sandbox? You know, do 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 we expect that they're going to be making meaningful moves in the next year or two, or are these like aspirations that ultimately like you know the trails are going to be blazed by companies like like Sandbox, like Axie, that are you know kind of born from Web three? What do you what well, do you predict Microsoft, in the near term? Microsoft and Facebook, for example, are very different things, and Roblox are very different yeah. things, right? We can talk about Microsoft, uh, like Roblox and the Facebook as giants. Um, Facebook especially, but it's, you know, it's a wall garden. And I think we will leave them, leave them in the dust. And we can talk about it a little more later, but Microsoft is different, you know, it's infrastructure, it's technology, it's, you know, it's PC, it's, uh, it's so many different things. So I think Microsoft is a, uh, you know, it's a huge building block of the whole metaverse and they definitely have yeah. uh, full rights to claim, um, you know, to the term and uh, we need the help. So yes. Yeah. Like Git is a really interesting piece of Microsoft as well. I mean, it's like literally the building blocks metaverse in some way. Yeah. Nice. Well, yeah, let's, uh, let's go I'm to glad, our next. Yes, yeah, so I'm glad they share our vision. <laughs> <laughs>
Awesome. Well, let's go to our next article. So um, this was interesting too. the the news gods really rained on us this morning. Um, we just were going to uh, showcase this like feature article called uh, peek into web three power player Animoca brands. Um, but then that got trumped by another press release this morning, uh, which is that Animoca brands uh, raises 358 million $888,888 at a uh, $5 billion valuation to grow the open metaverse. They, might so, like, uh, uh, they must like the eights. There are so many yeah. eights the I think it's lucky. I think it is too, yeah. <laughs> oh, maybe it's a sign so, for so, infinity. It's infinity sign, that's why. Oh, jeez, okay. <laughs> for uh, for a quick uh, a quick pull quote from this, uh, Animoca Brands, the company driving digital property rights via NFTs and gaming to build the open metaverse, today announced it has completed the capital rise of US three hundred fifty eight million eight 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 approximately. Uh, and, and, and sorry, and this was at a pre money valuation of uh, five billion US. So they're saying this new capital is going to be used to continue funding strategic acquisitions and investments, product development and licenses for proper, proper popular intellectual properties. Um, and when we post this on the blog, we'll also post this other article that gives a little behind the scenes uh, insight into who Animoca is and how they grew. But if, if, if y'all have not heard this name, you will be hearing it uh, every week, I think, throughout this year, if you're in gaming at all. Um, you know, it's in the same way that like in years past, Tencent had kind of sun, some skin in the game, it seemed like of almost every new gaming deal for a period of time. Um, so for just a little context on, on Animoca, like to, I, th I think they're pretty undisputed, like the leading name in Web3 investments. Um, and they have uh, a couple different of branches and, and Anya, you know, you, you guys are part of this, so please correct yeah. me if any of this is wrong. So there's, there's essentially like a product development publishing arm. And uh, in that arm, there's the Sandbox, uh, Phantom Galaxies, which is a really cool game I've been actually playing in my free time lately. Um, there's the Rev ra Racing ecosystem, which is a number of like racing theme titles in one kind of unified uh, uh, system. And um, then there's also the investment branch of Animoca. And the investment branches got skin in the game for over 150 of the world's largest NFT and metaverse related companies. And this includes stuff like Axie Infinity, Dapper Labs, Yield Guild Games, uh, Star Atlas, <clears throat> and Thetan Arena. So well, I feel like, it, yeah, go, go ahead, Anya. Can I, can I just also add to that? So I Please. think it's, yeah. come, but it's interesting. So we have blockchain, you know, it's actually, if somebody's interested, they can go to animocabrands.com slash investment portfolio, and it will blow your mind. It's anybody who is anything in blockchain gaming, including Axie Infinity, Star Mavis. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, there's just a huge number of companies there, right? You mentioned some. There's esports arm, there are guilds. Then there's metaverse companies, which include Sanda Sandbox and include the Central Land. Um, and then there is a DeFi, and then there's infrastructure, marketplaces, and there are even wallets that are, you know, metaverse wallets like MetaMask, Ledger, Bitski. It's literally everything that's NFT, blockchain, and gaming. It's a massive, massive power player in our arena. It's, it's insane. Yeah. And, and so, uh, Anya, you know, as sort of one of the, the flagship companies with Sandbox being part of the Animoca family, I'm just curious, with this many plays, I assume they give each of their companies a lot of autonomy. A lot um, of autonomy. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's almost like it'd be impossible for them to be heavily involved with each of these businesses, even if they wanted to, right? You know, I think uh, the guiding principle here is that Animoca brands are visionaries in terms of building an open and interoperable metaverse. 
And what they're trying to promote is collaboration between the companies, right? And openness between the platforms, technology, and just, you know, partnerships. So it's a lot of autonomy, but there are also a lot of synergies. And as an open metaverse, the sandbox, you know, we're like really at the far front, at the forefront of like uniting and finding those synergies. Yeah. So I'm curious, what do you, what do you guys think is the best use of these new funds? Like where, where should they be investing this new round? More studio acquisition, uh, picks and shovels types of play. What do you think is, is the purpose of this round? Well, I think it's definitely more investments and more growth capital for these investments. Just across this continue to carpet bomb everything that they're already investing. I mean, they already have their hands in every piece of the pie, basically, right? Yeah, but I mean, there are second rounds, there are series B, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, there's like a, we keep raising and they want to continue like maintaining the stakes. They don't know what yeah, to do, actually. So, you know, I mean, there's a, the whole, there, there's a lot of capital pouring in the segment mm-hmm. and they want to be in everything. Yeah. I mean, they're in Forte even, you know, like they participate in every single round. Like every time I have a call with them, you know, a company in the space, they're like, oh yeah, yeah, we're also animal brands. <laughs> <laughs> a huge family. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm super biased here, but you know, with this many studios uh, and publishers that they now own, um, I think obviously a great use of funds would be like, you know, some centralized growth resources to spread amongst these studios. But, you know, again, this is what we do. So super biased perspective there. But I also say that, because I've, I've been deep in this ecosystem for most of this year. And even some of the more established companies that I talk to don't have a great understanding of the performance marketing ecosystem and kind of like how they break through outside of the crypto gaming audience to actually bring in the rest of the world. And so hopefully they've leveraged some of these funds. Um, and you know, Anya, you, you and your background joining Sandbox are a good example of like companies making these pivots with, with your background. Um, but hopefully some of these funds are also used uh, to, you know, break that wall and more uh, more ammunition to bring these games to mainstream audiences. That's right. Well, I'm going to hold my comment here because that's what we're going to talk about. Yes, right? <laughs> I'm getting ahead. <laughs> so I, I know we have one more news story this week. Uh, Xander. Oh, hold we... on. What did we discuss the valuation, yeah. though? I think one thing we didn't mention is that they yeah. just had raised in November at the $2.2 billion valuation. And then just a couple months later, it's $5 billion. So, you know, I think it's just a notable data point. Before not, we... not too shabby. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot of value creation in a very short period of time. Cool. Oh. So from being on the, you know, most sophisticated cutting edge of the open metaverse to the uh, biggest and most powerful walled garden, I think we'll take a quick pivot to an article on mobile dev memo entitled, Apple just clarified alternative payments on iOS Spoilers, Apple still takes commission. So here's a very short quote. Um, Netherlands, Netherlands competition regulator ruled that Apple must allow dating apps published to the Netherlands app store to transact with third-party non-native iOS payment methods. Um, so Apple pop- published a document which outlines how alternative payments can be made in the, specifically in the Netherlands, specifically for dating apps. So there's sort of like two key takeaways. Basically, they've created new entitlements, which allows that for alternative payment methods, either using a non-Apple payment system within the app or a website outside the app um, that allows for payment processing. So here's the critical part though. Apple as part of these entitlements are going to be taking the take of any transactions that are happening even outside of the app or on non-Apple Rails for, um, for within their apps. And so what this basically means is that in a not very surprising, um, but still sort of like, completely net new way of thinking about the web. Apple is basically saying that if you use my 
device to interact with any facet of the internet, at least, at least as long as it filters through our app store, we're going to be taking a cut of your transaction. Um, I think sort of people thought that this was going to happen regardless, um, but it is just sort of a very wild claim that they basically are, you know, regardless of whether or not they're actually doing the work, because you're using an iPhone, they should be taking a 30 or, you know, they're going to reduce the, the cut by some nominal amount is what people expect to see. Um, but you'll still be having to pay 20 or 30% to Apple, even if it's outside their transaction, their payment um, processing, which is just a wild, wild way to position yourself to say, hey, it doesn't matter. We're not using our service. You still, we still get our tax. So, um, and, and I wanted to, I wanted to clarify, like somewhat hilariously, this ruling or th this policy change applies specifically and only to dating apps in, in the, the Netherlands. Netherlands. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is hilarious. But we do we do think it's going to establish a precedent. Right. Well, this is I think what this is is the blueprint for how they expect to roll out. Like, this is like their test case for saying, hey, can we can, can we still bludgeon certain segments into do like overpaying us for their services, even if they're not using our services. Um, and can we still sort of, this is like they're testing the model for how they want to tax people as they start to wean off the app store over time, app store payment process as the exclusive way to do payments over time. So, I mean, I think this is maybe the best argument in the world for why you need decentralization, <laughs> but I guess any, either of you guys have any thoughts? That's right. Sorry, I just wanted to say, <laughs> agreeing with your statement. Yeah, no, I, I was done. Yeah. I, well, they're making it so uh, um, prohibitive for the developers to implement that, right? Like who's going yep. to manage all this complexity and so unattractive for consumers too. There's no price discount essentially that uh, developers can offer, even if they did want to segregate Netherlands <laughs> at this point. But, uh, um, you know, other countries will fall suit as you would follow suit, as you said. And uh, I think the apple tree will continue being shaken this year. We'll see more and more precedents like that. And then uh, this <laughs> commission will have to come down. It, it will. I mean, it's wild. Can you imagine like using your desktop computer and like going to a website and buying something on Amazon and, and paying like Windows 30%? Like it just doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah, it's crazy. Anya, do you think there's any implications, like assuming there's more broad adoption of this policy, are there any implications for Web3 and the economic models um, that we might see in some some apps that have, you know, an, an in-app ecosystem, but also uh, you know, connect you to web to maybe, you know, connect, connect your, your wallet and have that component. Like, is, is this good news because we're setting some precedent for how this might happen? Or is it bad news because a big chunk of revenue might be gone? Or do, do you see the, this affecting that ecosystem? Well, uh, first of all, right now, there is a, I think there's a great incentive for developers to go into blockchain and to NFT and can escape the control of Apple, right? Just like to go toward decentralization. But it's also very scary how Apple is, uh, you know, just uh, exercising the power, right? What if they decide to take trans like transaction fee on all crypto wallets that are available, like, you know, in the app store or ban them, or basically they can do whatever they want. They're a very important player, right? And uh, a lot of, you know, mobile developers, blockchain or not are of course dependent upon the platforms. So, you know, right. could play out in several different ways. I mean, there's a point yeah. where it breaks the camel's back, right? Like if, they were taking the 30% transaction on every NFT. Like, it's almost like an argument, okay, and you need to get off the iPhone, right? Like... Right, exactly. I mean, and people would, you know, I think uh, as far as crypto wallets, of course, they'll find a way. But uh, I mean, Apple can just ban everything, you know, just like they have a lot of power. So anybody who is doing anything on, you know, on a, um, mobile devices are dependent upon Apple and Google. So we'll see. And uh, this is very, right, it... what platforms can do to us and to everyone is uh, very frightening. But I think the I think the 
movement is in other direction, is towards you know developers having more um, power and more freedom. Yeah. No, it, it, these are all good points, Anya. And you know, another another thing that is really bad for you know user experience from policies like this is it basically encourages people to uh, to reduce functionality of their apps. Uh, like for example, you know, the and it makes sense. Like in the the OpenSea app today, you know, which is obviously the main marketplace for NFTs, like you can't actually make purchases uh, in in the app, um, and and probably for for good reason, because they don't want to, you know, open the door to potentially having to give Apple a cut of all, of all those purchases. But it's a core function of the of OpenSea that it's is the core function. To be yeah, clear. yeah. It's right. a marketplace. It's a marketplace, right? And the right. transaction transaction value is enormous. I mean, it's not like we're not talking about talking about micropayments. We're talking about some serious sums right. of money being exchanged. Okay. Um, all right. Well, so that's enough for the industry. There's quite a bit to talk about in terms of the metaverse and sandbox. So let's just go ahead and pivot uh, to that main topic. Anya, will you just take a talk us, take us briefly through your background, um, talk about yourself, your background, and the sandbox, what you do there? Sure. So yeah, my name is Anya Shapina. As you know, I'm currently the head of performance at the sandbox, a decentralized gaming blockchain metaverse. My early career was in finance in my native Russia where I worked for some of the earliest VC funds investing in the country. Uh, but I created something, some new experiences and I um, ended up in the Bay Area in the gaming industry some 15 years ago. Uh, there is no reason to recount everything I did in the game industry over so many years. But um, some of you podcast listeners might know me as the former CEO of Game Changer SF, a mobile marketing agency. I co-founded it with my good friend, Phil Spielberg, when the mobile industry was still very young. Um, I stepped away from the agency and from the game industry um, about three years ago, and uh, I founded a venture in a completely different industry, uh, WiseFit. WiseFit is a fitness app for adults over 50 with personalized fitness, fitness plans um, for adults who want to, for older adults who want to increase their health, span, health spans. Uh, WiseFit became the number one app for senior fitness in the US App Store. I went through the Techstars program but ultimately it didn't become the business success that I had hoped for. And so I put it aside and joined the Sandbox, which I saw as one of the most inspiring, most interesting projects in the emerging metaverse. Awesome. Yeah. So and I think that's a, a great introduction. Do you wanna talk a little bit about how you and the Sandbox see the metaverse and sort of what's your perspective on, on you know, that whole, giant, giant and gorilla. Yeah, uh, so there are a number of really interesting definitions of the metaverse. And of course, we have our own de definitions of the met of the sandbox metaverse. So I'll give you one of my favorites for generally for metaverse, for the metaverse. It's a persistent shared virtual space with its own economy and identity systems. And it's built on principles of openness, decentralization and interoperability. It's a mouthful, interoperability. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, it's important though. that's like a really important key keyword because Facebook's yeah. metaverse does not have interoperability in it. Precisely. <laughs> That's why I brought it up. Yes. And uh, then I'll give you one of uh, some of our definitions of how we see ourselves. And some of the definitions actually come from the community, how, mm -hmm. how you see the sandbox. So the sandbox is a decentralized, community-driven gaming ecosystem where users own, create, and monetize their assets and gaming experiences on the Ethereum blockchain. Another favorite definition of mine that comes from the community, the sandbox is a place where your NFTs become alive. 
<laughs> let me unpack it. So um, let me unpack what the Sandbox really is. So it's a social platform where you can play games and have unique experiences with NFTs through your avatar. You can play games, you can do parkour, you can um, attend virtual concerts, you can meet friends, you can interact with many different brands and artists. And speaking of brands, we have uh, 166 partnerships with some of the leading world brands from The Walking Dead, Dead Mouse to Adidas and Binance. So the key point about the sandbox is that in our metaverse, users are creators or can easily become creators. And they have full ownership of their assets as NFTs. So yeah, we empower creators and provide the means for them to earn actual income. Um, Sandbox is also known for our virtual real estate called Land, one of the top NFTs on OpenSea, on OpenSea and also for our token Sand which had great performance last year. Is it a good definition or do you want me to go? It's a great on? definition. Yeah, as you're describing this, Anya, you know, one thing that comes to mind for me uh, too is, you know, I think there's a lot of mockery of uh, like NFT and, and um, NFTs and Web3 gaming in general. And for me, Sandbox is one of those companies that's really moving the conversation past kind of like the right click save JPEG memes and getting people to actually understand no, no, this is, this is why the technology is cool. This is how you can have an experience with it, um, you know, actually do things with, with these assets that you own and actually, you know, use them to, uh, to build, to potentially like uh, provide some sort of income for yourself from, from your activities. And it just like, it's a platform that lets you like actually do cool shit rather than just like owning a thing in a collection. Yeah, and and I let's think, talk about, yeah. I'm sorry for interrupting. No, please. Okay, so, um, and speaking about doing cool shit, you know, there are like multiple ways to do it. So we just had our first alpha. So for all this time, Sandbox had been actually close to actual players. And we had our first alpha in, at the end of November and through December. And now we're in a pause and we're just about to announce our second alpha. So, you know, follow us on social media people, there'll be alpha coming up. But, um, you know, prior to that, we had a thriving, we've had for a long time, thriving uh, creator community with people you know, creating virtual assets, selling them in the marketplace as NFTs. And by the way, keeping 100% of the proceeds, we mark up five on top, right? And then creating gaming experiences. We have generous creator pro uh, creators program, supporting lots of developers. So you know, even without just being able to experience it as a game, there are lots of ways to engage with the sandbox and be a creator and actually earn income already. So Anya, just uh, forgive my ignorance of the sandbox. I've, I did a very brief amount of testing it when the first beta was open, but are you actually creating um, these content and games experience in inside the client of the sandbox, or is that something that, as like an engineer, you do outside and then like sort of port onto the sandbox platform? That's a great question. So we have three uh, key products, or like four, but three apps. So basically, uh, it's you know the sandbox is a website, and then you have a great game client. With, where you can play games as a, as a gamer. Then right. there's a game maker tool mm -hmm. um, available for PC only at this point. And uh, this is where it's actually a really great, beautiful tool where you can create gaming experiences. So that's what game makers are using, the game maker. And then they publish those experiences on the land. Right. And then we have a third thing called VoxEdit. And this is a, an NFT minting, like, you know, it's a, it's a tool where you can create your avatars, your objects in the game, and then uh, mint them as NFTs and publish them to the marketplace. And then does, uh, again, this is just my, in, 
but when you're able to then you're able to then so you're missing it to your wallet and then you're able to sell it either in the sandbox or outside the sandbox that is that correct yes you can well so you mean as far as selling so yeah you basically uh well you know there's a nfts have attributes rarity and stuff like that mm -hmm. right so then prices is set and then uh basically it goes into the marketplace the marketplace lives on the sandbox website that's mm -hmm. the fourth product but then it can be resold as well on OpenSea. Okay. That was the piece I was trying to get to. Yeah, yeah. Sense. Well, you know, NFT is really kind of, uh, it wouldn't be any point if people can't, can't resell the NFTs, you know, whatever they want with true ownership and peer-to-peer -peer transactions. Well, that, that's sort of the piece I was trying to make sure that I understood and that we're sort of clear on is that this is what the distinction is between this and something like a Facebook metaverse is that it is truly interoperable, right? And that's that's the key difference. That's, that's why we have NFTs, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, from, from there, I, I kind of want to segue into um, the Sandbox's role in the ecosystem, and then more specifically, you and your team's role, Anya, in sort of moving the conversation forward on Web3 Gaming, like getting out of the uh, crypto bro stereotype ecosystem, and like letting the average person start having these meaningful experiences. And um, I see some interesting kind of like anecdotal hints out there of the traction that Sand Sandbox is getting of just like hearing conversations from people that have like no other uh, interest in Web3 or crypto, uh, just asking me like, hey, have you heard about this thing, Sandbox, or like, you know, like older people that that normally don't track the space. So it's clear that like there's something resonating and, and catching with, pe with people about what Sandbox has made. Um, but I want to specifically dig into your role and the role of performance marketing uh, and what that might mean for kind of pushing product like Sandbox outside of the crypto only ecosystem into like mainstream gamers and the average mm -hmm. the average uh, persons. Okay, so uh, yeah. we can take it into multiple directions. So let's just talk about marketing and my role and what I do at the Sandbox. Is it a good start? Yeah. And then okay. we can kind of it's a good go start. mainstream. <laughs> yeah, it's a broad topic. Yeah, yeah. Well, you there. know, I kind of want to. Yeah, I want to bring it back to marketing, and then we can talk about like how to mainstream <laughs> Web three as a broader topic. Sure. So my role at the Sandbox. So it's actually quite different from a performance uh, marketing role at a traditional gaming company. So user acquisition um, is only part of my role. I also oversee influencers. I get involved in partnerships and branding campaigns. And, uh, but I'm trying to make everything run in performance with uh, you know, instituting measurement, transparency, and accountability. More importantly, we're constantly redefining what growth and performance actually mean in the metaverse across our different user segments. Yeah. So there's a, a quite a bit of strategy and data strategy involved in what I'm doing. And finally, because we have all these user segments and uh, our, the user journeys are so distinctly different and so long and so complex, maybe half of my job is about creating and optimizing persona-based user journeys. Hmm. I personally design or lead the design of so many landing pages and do a lot of A-B testing constantly. I think last month I did maybe 20 or 30 different landing pages single-handedly, not to mention variations and A-B tests. So basically UX and UI is kind of like a huge part of my role as well, which is very different. That's super and interesting. Yeah. I, mm -hmm. so as, as you're describing that, Anya, I'm just thinking it, it's a very different problem to solve, right? Because we're not just... Um, not just bringing someone into a new app, like that's the, you know, you're, you're downloading another app on your phone and it's just an icon that sits next to the five other icons of, you know, of kind of similar games. Like you're bringing someone into a whole new, not even platform, but just like a whole new way to think about how they interact with gaming. Like, and 
the value of bringing like a net new wallet into the blockchain ecosystem, I would imagine is, is quite immense, but also quite challenging. Actually, right? it's not challenging. Uh, I mean, it, the value is immense, but uh, you would be surprised how, um, like by our conversion, for example, like brand new users, casual users, IP fans, like the conversion rate at which they just create the new brand new crypto wallet account is actually really quite high. It's actually comparable with the conversion you see in the App Store. <laughs> Can you believe it? That's very interesting. I, I'd like to I'd like to explore that a little bit further. Could you would you like to give an anecdote of maybe like you you talked about these personas and A/B testing of different landing pages? Is there an anecdote of a particular um, uh, execution that you uh, saw work really well that might give some insight into how this kind of strategy pans out? Ooh, uh, I don't even know what example to bring here. Um, I just say, I just, I, I just want to say that uh, the particular challenge that uh, we're facing is that the sandbox is a very complex value prop to unpack. Yeah, First yeah. Of all, you don't know if the user is a creator; they're coming to earn money, or like you know, to your landing page, or they're coming to play, or you know, what really they or their investor they are looking for, you know, land investment. So you don't really know, and there's a lot to explain on one with the landing page, right? Right. So right. that's why um, just uh, trying to give users opportunities to self-identify through the user journeys is key. And also trying to like structure this information flows in a way that's not overwhelming, but meaningful uh, is kind of like a really big deal and a big part of this experimentation, right? Uh, yeah. And like just give this information in a way that's not like a lot of text, of course, right? But, um, you know, we found that giving people more information is better, you know? So giving them the opportunities to learn as much as they want to is actually really key. And then they kind of like graduate towards um, towards actual, you know, some user flow that they choose. Yeah, and you're using like, you know, CTAs to like help distinguish each other. Like, so you're like, like are, are you here to like, talk like a little bit about what the specifics of the, the distinction of those user journeys are. Are you doing sort of like any automation and follow-up? Like what is, what are sort of the tactical things that that actually means when you're creating yeah, yeah, user absolutely. journey. Yeah, yeah, user journey just starts through a creation of a wallet account. It's like, you know, the, uh, user, you know, it's like create a wallet account and then create your avatar maybe, or download a game maker, right? So it's different user journey for, depending upon who that person are and why they came to the sandbox. And then we have a lot of follow-up and that's why I said I dabble into CRM, right? There's email. Right. We don't have so many levers, right? We have CRM, but we also have community. And the community is everything. So once that person joins our social media and joins our, joins our Discord, we, we really have the attention. Right. And then uh, that engagement funnel is uh, is massively important. So and we also control it very precisely. And I actually meant to mention that you know my role sounds so busy, but there are things I don't do in my role, and that's the reason I could, don't call myself head of growth because growth growth also comes from that engagement funnel and from the community. Right. So, um, you know, and it's a beast I try not to touch, right? It's like a whole other huge activity that we do. There's game jams, there are raffles, there are competitions, yeah. there's voting, and there's all these different uh, communities within Discord, right, who like help each other. And there's like a lot of peer-to-peer -peer communication. And, you know, we have a live marketplaces within the sandbox, right? Like, you know, uh, game makers buy NFTs for their games and like landowners can hire game makers to build yeah. up their land. So there's so much going on in the background to make this world built up and happen that we try to facilitate this activity. And the community actually steps up and helps us facilitate a lot of this economic activity inside of the game. Yeah. Um, so one thing I wanted to touch on is how, how does your marketing stack differ 
like how you, you know you talked a lot about using data to make the informed decisions like what does a, a marketing stack for a company like the sandbox look like you know it's probably not AppSpire, you know <laughs> pulling into singular with dashboards built on top of it you know <laughs> well we're talking to singular but okay. <laughs> uh, well and, and to AppSpire, we're trying to figure this out really you know i can tell you guys it's a huge challenge in my job like first of all i come from a yeah. mobile marketing background like all of you and the most listeners i assume and here i am on the web product it's a web thing, plus we have client downloads. Okay, so the user journey just starts on the web and then they go span across those different apps, right? Mm -hmm. So um, the measurement and the, just connecting all those data points is a huge challenge. So first of all, just looking at it as like the web part, you know, Google Analytics is everything. That's what mm -hmm. everybody's using. And it's free. It's a product that doesn't get updated very much, right? And of course we have this problem of third-party cookies going the same way as, you know, Apple ATT, right? So there's a lot of uh, challenges in terms of like our measurement and tracking and new partner integrations and reporting. Yeah. That mm -hmm. don't, I mean, of course, mobile industry has its own challenges, but um, you know, we live in a world of imperfect data. So it's, uh, right. it's interesting, it's messy. Right. We got so spoiled, right, Anya? Like coming from the, the mobile world, especially like the pre-2021 mobile world of just like this perfect, data that would give you such a good idea of like at a granular level of what each of your efforts were doing. Um, and it's it's very interesting how just through a confluence of um, how tides are shifting in the industry, how uh, that is less and less of, you know, the tools that you have to work with. For sure. Yeah. You know, I miss the elegance of uh, the dashboards, you know, the apps flyer and singular. I really miss the ease of integrating new partners. But, uh, you know, yeah. now, of course, you guys have your, your own data modeling challenges in the mobile market and, you know, uh, sure. exactly. we, have, we have our own, similar, but different. Yeah, GA is not known for its conversion tracking, I'll say. Actually, uh, first so, is just fine, conversion is okay, but then, of course, we have our own specific challenges of crypto transactions, right? Right, uh, yes. That take a while, there's a lag, so it's really more diff difficult to capture them. And of course, you know, like we have sand, we don't have dollars. Right. And, uh, and we have crypto wallets. We have user ID is a, is a wallet ID. It's, right. not, it's not your user ID. It's not your IDFA or even not even email. And, you know, um, we really stay away from collecting personal data because we're Web3. We can, but we don't. So, you know, connecting all the data points, and I said, and follow the user journeys is quite, quite a different challenge. Yeah. So with all these moving pieces, Anya, and you know, you can you can answer this more broadly if you don't want to speak specifically about sandbox. Um, what do you think are the primary KPIs that a Web three game should be be optimizing to with with all of this complexity and nuance that you're you know calling out? That's a what great does success question. look like? That's a great question. Um, well, <laughs> first of all, we don't have LTV or OAS. And, you know, we just opened Alpha, we'll have LTV eventually for some user segments later. But it's really not the primary, it's not the beacon, you know, of performance like it is in the traditional uh, gaming, right? Because people actually earn, don't pay. <laughs> and right. uh, figuring out what value, user value is, is uh, I think, well, it's a big part of my job and it's a big sort of like philosophical dilemma. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it's actually unique, uniquely different for many blockchain companies. So the right. sandbox, the sandbox is, uh, and you know, Axie would have, you know, LTV, and, uh, but we, we, we're just different because of the creators. So for us, we have more complexities with our creators, 
because it's just like user creator landowner, right? Like each of the segments for us has completely different ways of bringing value into the sandbox right. and obviously a different set of KPIs. And I don't think it translates to all other games necessarily, but like, you know, assets in the marketplace is a KPI for, you know, um, box art artists or like gaming experiences created is a KPI uh, for game makers or like creator fund submissions or approvals is a, you know, is a KPI, right? So they're very down the funnel KPIs that we're tracking. So, you know, the wallet ID and new wallet accounts is just like a top line growth indicator, but then they translate into this um, different down the funnel KPIs unique for each of the user segments. I presume yeah. that like, so for the user segments, you like, you sort of mentioned this, like actually you can generate a, there's some sort of LTV that you can extrapolate, right? Because an average user has X number of use, you know, transactions on the on your guys' um, platform and each transaction is worth X on average. And so you can sort of like, if you were to buy a new user, you can, that, that one you could probably make up, you could find a way to sort of produce a number for that. I'm curious if you think about like cost per, you know, X for these other user segments, like, because a creator is basically, a, is creating content for you, right? So there is some value of that user, I just it's. Do you think about things like in terms of cost per uh, new game created or something like that, and think and yeah. lot your funnel that way? Or yeah, I do. I would we do look at CPA for each segment. Yeah, I mean, because that's like we have to. You know, we have still have cost of acquisition, so CPA is still meaningful. Um, we can't figure out how to create like ROAS model because it's really difficult. Difficult at this point to translate those kind of the value they create into monetary terms. Right. I think eventually we might get there when we start like um, relying on the marketplace NFT sales more uh, than the land, right? So we can probably connect all those dots, but at this point, we just don't know. Um, you know, it's important for us to make sure that our virtual world is balanced, that each user segment is evolving and thriving, and that users are moving successfully along the user journeys, but uh, we are not looking at something like ROAS. Right, right, right. We're looking at, but we are looking at CPA, um, and uh, right. we are still looking. You know, like I have to work with something, right? <laughs> so we're right, still right. At, uh, right. like wallet, new wallet accounts created each month. And by the way, we're doing really well there. I can share that uh, in um, during our alpha, or like in the few weeks preceding our alpha, we actually doubled our total user base in uh, wallet accounts. Yeah, so the growth very has enviable. Yeah, the wallet has, the growth has been high. Yeah, and I guess, again, for my ignorance, like, um, does Sandbox do much actual paid advertising or is this mostly organic because of the insane demand for um, Sandbox in the space? Oh, we, do. we do, that's like kind of part yeah. of my job. <laughs> yeah, we do. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, and I can share that, you know, Google for us is everything. It's a, it's the same, it's a different channels because we're web, yeah, and PC. Right. So obviously Talk we have this limitation being PC on, by, by the way, Mac is coming with a second alpha. So, you know, I can probably share that. Ooh, maybe I shouldn't have shared that, but anyway, Mac is coming. So, but it's still desktop. So we have different channels, but Google is everything for us. YouTube is like incredible and search is incredible for us. So it's like yeah. pretty significant volume that we're driving on those channels. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's super interesting. Yeah. I, I, Anya, is there anything specifically that, um, you feel that uh, the you know either in your current role or the the blockchain uh, gaming ecosystem in general can learn from what you and and others like you have done in the mobile space. Basically, like what what should we adopt from mobile uh, growth and user acquisition best practices that might be uh, very beneficial to the Web three gaming space? 
Well, I think it is the process and the best practices, you know? So uh, mobile marketing is so process driven, as we know, you have creative experimentation, you have modeling, you have A-B testing, everything is organized, process and data driven, and it's the culture at the companies. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think when, as I mentioned, things are you know, become more complex and messy in the blockchain world and specifically at the sandbox that's like has so many different user segments and KPIs. But when things become even messier and more difficult to manage, it's that process, that's rigor of that process and the best practices that you just have to rely on in my daily life, right? It's like a right. <laughs> hold on to. And basically uh, when I hire, I look at mobile marketers because uh, they have that kind of ingrained uh, best right. practice. Uh, they've trained really well. So, you know, maybe not all of it translates exactly into the methods and the yeah. channels that we use, but the process itself is a foundation that we completely rely upon. And I'm so grateful for my experience at the Game Changer, you know, in, in mobile marketing, that I can just like create those new processes and new tools um, for ourselves at the sandbox using my learnings. Yeah, no, those those are great points and um, definitely similar to our own take care at, at Uptick. Well, um, in the coming weeks, we'll probably be making some some announcements about some of our new work in the, the Web3 space. But to your point, Anya, we are, because we come from that background and pedigree of just like, you know, everything being modeled, everything being very measurable down to a granular level and having very clear success and failure definitions, we're doing our best to, uh, you know, to apply that um, rigor to, you know, hybrid or or Web3 ecosystems and still kind of hold ourselves to, no, 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 we can we can still model this. We can still identify success and failure. It's just, it's just harder. A, there's more moving pieces well, and there's know, more that that's that's an estimate or a model rather than just a just a deterministic uh, data point. I mean, if you know how to measure, you will measure anything. It's just like having the common sense, yeah. the process will just equip you to be a successful marketer in the blockchain arena. Absolutely. How, how about on the other side of that, Anya? Do you, do you think that there, now that you've you know, journeyed to the other side, is there something that traditional mobile gaming and mobile marketers should learn from um, you know, some, of the, some of the methodology and approaches that we see for you know, the most successful Web3 games? Yeah, let's see. So there aren't so many of us in blockchain marketing. So I don't know, I can't speak for all of us, uh, but I have some thoughts here. Um, the first one, I think, is the appreciation of the power of the community. As I mentioned, community is everything in the blockchain universe. It's the engine of growth. It's uh, where we draw inspiration and the feedback. And I feel like in mobile marketing, our community is uh, often overlooked and underappreciated. You know, in one of your earlier podcasts, um, one of your guests, I think it might have been Malachi, said something that really stuck with me forever. He said, uh, UA is not a magic button to press when you want growth. It's a growth amplifier. And it's so yeah. true. And I think, uh, you know, I took it to heart and I keep repeating this uh, great quote all the time. So I think it's really uh, something that uh, we need to keep in mind and really focus on the engagement funnel. And uh, we all have different levels of communication with our users, of course. Uh, we have Discord, you know, you guys have uh, enough messaging, but uh, uh, just understanding your users and creating those personalized journeys is really important in engaging with your users throughout of the user journeys, right? Um, and then the next one, I would say, it's kind of on the same theme, aligning UA with design, uh, creating persona-based user journeys. Of right. course, we have different, very distinct user segments, but I think even in mobile gaming and in other mobile apps, there might be more user segments that we sometimes realize. 
And uh, those user segments might have distinct motivations for downloading your app, and they have distinct hurdles that are preventing them from having a good experience. And identifying those, and identify those kind of like user segments and creating more personalization, starting with your creative targeting and messaging, and all the way down to, you know, all throughout the engagement funnel, um, through personalized onboarding, well, I said creative, UX design onboarding, and even maybe in experiences is something that I think we do better in the blockchain because we have to, right. but maybe we do less of it in the mobile marketing because we kind of haven't had to be so granular. Right, that's very changing. I mean, I think the interesting thing you're sort of calling out is like marketing's not getting easier for anyone, <laughs> especially if you're going to be moving into these, you know, sort of complicated multi-user, multi-persona experiences. Like you basically need distinct, I don't know if you need distinct marketing teams, but you need people focusing on distinct marketing experiences across all these different pieces of the ecosystem. So marketers can be around for quite some time. Yep, I think so too. And we have to become more and more creative, which is great. It's good to shake it up. It is. Cool. So, so one last uh, question for you here, Anya, before we go into our app of the week segment. Do you? Um, I'm, I'm curious if you personally feel that um, play to earn and Web three gaming is going to be the future kind of standard for gaming. Do you see that it, it stays in a niche for a while, and we still have kind of traditional, uh, you know, free to play uh, gaming kind of existing alongside of it? Or what are your predictions for future adoption of of Web three gaming and, and play to earn? Great question. Thank you for asking it. Of course, I'm a big believer in play to earn, but I have to also admit that we're still very small and very niche. So looking at the future, I think play to earn powered by blockchain opens up economic opportunities to population groups that previously did not have those economic opportunities. And it promotes income distribution, financial literacy, and, you know, just helps people out who just haven't been so privileged before. Um, you know, it actually pushes economic power from the center to the edges. And I can tell you guys, I can see it in front of my very eyes when I look in the Google Analytics at the example of the sandbox. Um, I can share some data points or, you know, some insights from what I see in the sandbox. We have um, new users coming from all these different geographies like Vietnam, Thailand, Brazil, Turkey, and they're not just creating crypto wallet accounts and sitting on them. They're like doing something meaningful in the metaverse. Like um, Thailand was a source of like a great, the greatest share of unique land purchases one month. And we're talking about serious money, right? Like a tiny country of Thailand. And then, you know, Vietnam was a great source of new users. A lot of our creators come from Brazil and Turkey, as I mentioned. So it's, uh, and, and India, oh my God, India. The crypto penetration is uh, really high there and there's like obviously lots of English speaking people and that's a really tremendous source of new um, of growth, but specifically in the creator community for us as well. And I, I just delight in seeing that in action, you know, I, I see this decentralization and this empowerment playing out like <laughs> in our KPIs and our dashboards. Uh, so I think it's really, it's, this fills me with hope. And of course we have to credit Axie Infinity for a lot of it because it just transformed the economy of Southeast Asia in this incredible way and giving, giving people this, you know, income and the ability to participate right. in other economies in the open metaverse. So they're helping us and we're helping them. And, um, you know, I think uh, that just uh, makes me a big believer in the future. Um, yeah, I, th I think you, you, you call out a really kind of overlooked aspect of the Web3 and play to earn gaming ecosystem, which is a very fascinating redistribution of wealth that's, that's happening through this. 
it's also kind of an outsourcing of labor, right? It's like you're having these companies who are, I mean, basically in some ways, like Sandbox will be seed. I mean, do you, I mean, you consider Sandbox a platform, right? Like it, it definitely is, right? Oh, and so, no. and then of course, like that's just sort of the core of it. So, but then you have all these people who are coming on, like building net new products on top of it. It's almost like, you know, their version of the app store. Um, and the thing that's really interesting about it is obviously it's not geofence. And so people can get money, get real money, it being paid in some sort of cryptocurrency, sand in this case, um, to do, you know, real work, basically, you know, it's basically, for, I imagine for some segment of these people, this will be their job, like for some non-trivial portion of their life. Yeah. Um, and it's, that's just- Not, not even will be, like it, it, it is in, sure. in certain countries. Like some of our creators learn living wages and, right. you know, like um, our prizes for, you know, like uh, game jams are really generous. And, uh, you know, the play to earn is like, is real. It's a living wage for so many Axie players. I mean, that's why GG exists, right? So, um, you know, it's going to happen. It's going to go mainstream. It's going to happen in the developed world as well as the crypto penetration raise, rises and as we create more of these economic opportunities and jobs in the metaverse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. I'd love to keep talking about this, but we're at time. So um, let's wrap up with the app of the week. Uh, Warren, do you want to go first? Do you have an app this week? Yeah. So, you know, for the first time in a while, I'm going to bring something that's not in any way related to uh, Web3. Or, or any of these topics. I'm going a little boomer with my, with my pick. I've got Ring this week, um, which is an app we started using. We got a, a Ring doorbell for system for, for Christmas. Um, my, my wife works for, for Amazon. So at this point, we've basically just handed all of our data over to Bezos. We're just like not even, <laughs> there's, there's like an Alexa in every room. It's, we, we just have given up at this point. <laughs> um, but it's, it's interesting. It's both like incredibly practical um, when you live in like a busy city neighborhood that sometimes has, you know, getting in COVID, getting a lot of packages delivered and in our neighborhood, like stolen from your porch sometimes. Um, but it also kind of makes you terrified of humanity. Just the things that you get, you get alerts of the different things like happening in your neighborhood and uh, different shootings, different kind of like obscene things being videotaped on people's porches. Uh, so it's, it's very voyeuristic, <laughs> slightly okay. terrifying, uh, and very, very useful, but it's probably, um, yeah, one of the more captivating new app experiences that I've, I've had lately. It's funny. It's a little bit next door. People yeah. post their videos on next door. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Anya, did you bring an app this week? Yeah, I do have an app for you this week. Um, I was going to review some crypto, uh, games, but then I realized, you know, I don't really play them enough to be like a real experts, sure. expert. So I'm gonna present an app that I have been using every day religiously for months. Um, and hopefully somebody will find value in it. So as you know, I have a, a fitness app myself. Mm -hmm. I need to sunset and do something with. So I've, I've tried most fitness apps on the market. And uh, there are interesting, uh, there are two that stand out, uh, Future Fit and uh, Copilot. Copilot is newer and that's the one I wanna talk about. So they are trying to democratize personal training. So they're offering personal, personal training and personalized workouts in an app at the price of $90 per month, which I think, you know, in the Bay Area, probably a price of one personal training session. Reasonably cheap. Yeah, and I think they're doing a pretty uh, good job with that. You know, uh, the most importantly is that you get a personal trainer who checks in with you every day. So Very whatever good. I can say about the workouts and maybe enough uh, variety or maybe not enough variety, you know, I'm a tough customer. It does personalize to your available equipment at home, to your fitness goal, to your fitness level. And uh, the person, you know, your trainer checks in with you every day, which really does keep you on track. It just works on everyone. <laughs> so, so if you're looking for um, ways to stay fit during COVID, 
and for somebody you know reminding you daily it makes you feel making you feeling bad for missing your workout that's enough for you great yeah, that's that's a great suggestion I, I neglected my fitness for far too long in my life and it was like the first time that I got to a point where I could actually work with a personal trainer that was the first time I actually had any kind of like meaningful improvement to my health in that respect but it also at a certain point it felt foolish to be spending that much versus like other things that you could be spending your money on so you know uh, having a more cost-efficient way to get the benefits of a personal trainer I think is, is super valuable yeah I have to mention future there as well so like future is like a Silicon Valley darling startup here mm -hmm. in the area but it's 150 a month so I think 90 is better than 150 and they're pretty much the same yeah I mean, that nice. makes sense. That'll compound over time. Xander, you got a nap this week? I do. So I was trying to avoid stupid mobile games, but I couldn't come up with any good this week. And so I have a stupid mobile game. So my uh, game this week is Punball, P-U-N-B-A-L-L. -L, and it is like the antithesis of free-to-play, um, but it's actually done really well. Uh, basically, you play, it's like that ball shooter game where you like shoot your ball, you shoot the ball up and it breaks blocks, um, but like they make the box. move. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Or like, are we talking more arachnoid or bust a move? I don't know. This is before my time. Um, but they okay. make the blocks uh, into like enemies, different, attack, different attacks and move uh, in different moves. And so they sort of like come down over time and you shoot your little balls up there and then you get power ups um, in sort of a randomly roguelike, randomly generated fashion, sort of like a roguelike. Um, and it's dumb and it's fun, but it, it's actually done pretty well. And they have, it's like basically free to play, uh, a, free, a very simple you know, free-to-play economy, um, standard, not simple, standard free-to-play economy. Um, I spent not a ton of money, but, you know, I'm definitely a profitable user for them. So um, they did, it's the same company that did Archero, which is a really good game for I played for a while. Um, so check it out if you want something to sort of just, you know, let your mind wander free. I, I'm checking it out. This looks fun. It looks a little like kind of Peggle vibes too for the core mechanic. Yeah. Although they have one of, you, you know, at Uptick, we're pretty obsessed with like App Store optimization and they have my biggest pet peeve, which is they have their Christmas icon going, uh, you know, about a month <laughs> after Christmas. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We need, need to get a new build out. Yeah. Yeah. Other than that, it looks pretty fun. Yeah. It's amazing. Cool. Uh, Anya, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate all your insight on the metaverse, on Sandbox, and just all the different nuances of marketing there. I wish we could go another hour because it's really interesting. Um, if someone wants to get a hold of you or learn more about the Sandbox, where can they check you out? Uh, best thing is probably LinkedIn or just email me at anya at sandbox.game. Awesome. Warren, you want to take us out? Yeah, thank you so much for joining us, Anya. This was definitely one of my favorite conversations we've had. A lot of relevant info for the listeners. Thank you very and, uh, much for having me. That was really great. Yeah, our pleasure. Uh, as always, the podcast today is brought to you by the good people of Uptick. So here at Uptick, we uh, build technology and perform the services kind of front to back to grow mobile and non-mobile games uh, in the most effective uh, results-driven way possible. So uh, a big part of that for us this year is going to actually be developing new tech around uh, hybrid economies, um, some of these Web3 economies, and and kind of the convergence of free-to-play meets play-to-earn. So it's going to be a very interesting year, both uh, some of the partners we'll be working with and some of the tech we'll be rolling out. So uh, if you need help with any of that stuff, you can reach us at our website. That's uptick.com, U-P-P-T-I-C.com. Awesome. Talk soon. I'm not sure you know, man.